to Bookswell Podcast Episode 9, and we got a big group today. I'm your host, Cody Sisko. I'm here with Sarah Labrie. Hello. Rochelle Youssef. Hi. Dan Lopez. Hello. And we have a special guest, Sonora Williams. Hi. So Sonora is the founder of My Lip Box, which is a subscription service, and I'm super excited to have her today because she's been serving up great books for the last three years to, uh, is it mainly an LA audience? Um, no, it's mostly a New York audience. Oh, awesome. So now, with this podcast, <laughs> maybe a bigger LA audience. Um, so what I was hoping to do today is catch up on what we've been reading. I will start by saying this has been a bad month for me, so I don't have a lot to add, except that I finished Becoming, um, which, you know, ends on a pretty sad note, <laughs> with the you know transition from the Obama White House to... <clears throat> what Not comes next <laughs> yeah and then I've started reading um, Mind Over Mind the second book in Octavia Butler's Patternist uh, series but I'm not done yet so I can't really say much except that I am enjoying it um, but let's start so June was a big pride month did anyone dig into some LGBTQ lit I did what do you got <laughs> so I read and it was actually one of the Last titles featured in My Lit Box, but it was Patsy um, by Nicole Dennis Ben. Oh. It was the follow up to her debut, um, Here Comes the Sun, which was one of my favorite books of that year, too. Um, and I loved it. It took me a while. I mean, it's um, it's the story of Patsy, and she's Jamaican born, and she's trying to decide if she wants to move to the States and follow what I would take as her first love, which is a woman, or stay in Jamaica with her daughter. So she's kind of playing like tug of war between like what she thinks is kind of like her destiny and her future and her responsibilities back home. Um, and it's definitely like a hard story. You're dealing with poverty, um, you're dealing with um, sexual abuse, you're dealing with motherhood and all these competing responsibilities. Um, so it was a heavy hitting story, but it was just beautifully written. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. It sounds like it hits a lot of the same themes as the previous book. It does. Yeah. It does. Which I was thinking about that the other day. Like I think it's, I mean, writers, I think they have room to write about whatever they want within reason. But I think it's something like pretty special when like a writer writes about home. So it's kind of like even if every one of Nicole's books is about Jamaica, I'm perfectly fine with that because she does it such mm -hmm. justice um, in a way that she points out the good and the bad. It's like she doesn't paint like this picture of like flowery and touristy Jamaica. She talks about like the poverty and the homophobia and, um, you know, the challenges that people who live there 365 days a year face. Um, so yeah, it does revisit a lot of the same things, but she does it in like, it, you don't, you know you're not reading the same story. And does she avoid the sophomore slump? I think she does. I think she, I and I think like she took, that was, her debut was in 2016, so it's 2019. So, I mean, I don't know her personally, so I don't know what she's done between, but it feels like a, like, yeah. <laughs> like, so Sonora, I'm thinking about writing this other book, what do you think? But I feel like maybe because she, like, took that time to, like, give the first book time to breathe and really nurture this one and develop it. I, in my opinion, I think she definitely beat the sophomore slump. And I've seen nothing but, like, praise for this novel. So, I think hopefully the industry agrees, too. It's been on my it's been on my list because uh, I also loved Here Comes the Sun mm -hmm. so it's definitely been on my list I'll have to pick it up now. Yeah, so, so you won't regret it. Um, just on the theme of Pride and Jamaica, I've been really excited to dig into Lot by Brian Washington. It's a collection of short stories um, 
that is the author's from Houston and the stories are about Latinx and African American boys um, and queer relationships and Houston and there there was one of them was in the New Yorker and I was really familiar with his writing just from the internet and it's what I've read so far doesn't disappoint it's very funny uh, very poignant like incredible writing about the city of Houston which is not something I feel like people say often <laughs> Uh, but he really finds a lot to mine there. It's, it's really rich. So I'm super interested in how settings show up in contemporary fiction and, and even fiction that has like a little bit of like a magical realist kind of bent. How does Houston show up in his work? It's funny because, you know, I'm from there and I grew up with the vocabulary of the street names he's using and the neighborhoods and the, the restaurants. And it, it gave me the same feeling as I'm... Solange's last album, When I Get Home, where she just is like speaking as though you know it, and so you do, because she's not gonna like, and, and Washington either, he doesn't like deem to explain anything. You just have to catch up with the vocabulary, so it's like total immersion. It's really effective. It's hard to do from a writing perspective. I found like you wanna over explain and be very explicit, mm. um, but I think it's the way he does it, it's just really intelligent, it's very subtle. You've gotta pick that up. I have an, uh, an LGBTQ event I went to, not surprisingly not a book I read this month, <laughs> this past month rather. I went to the event at Skylight um, for Alex Espinosa's Cruising, the okay. launch, where he was there in conversation with uh, David Francis. And it was, I mean, I was really happy to see that it was a packed house, you know. Um, like Skylight often gets good crowds, but they don't always have standing room only. And this was, and it was a really interesting conversation. Um, the book is kind of a cultural history slash memoir of the art and I'm gonna call it the art the art of cruising um, and kind of the history of it and how that intersects with Alex's own journey coming of age as a queer disabled Latino person in the 80s here in LA um, so it hits a lot of sort of interesting intersections um, and he explained it really well and the, it was it was a great conversation and it was a really good time and there was a good crowd afterwards, so I was glad to see that I was successful. Uh, it also is, I should point out, published by Unnamed Press, who also publishes me, so I may be a little biased, but <laughs> it was a really fun event. <laughs> Curdy, I wanted to ask you about Becoming, because I okay. just rode, I did it, I was on like a short road trip, um, and I was in the car with like time to listen to a book for maybe a total of like 10 hours, and um, I was trying to listen to Becoming, and I found myself falling asleep. But oh, really? everyone has told me that it's amazing, but I was just like, okay, so great. She has this lovely childhood. She's really smart. She has great neighbors. She has great parents. Like, where, where is this going to get sort of deeper and sort of not so... Um, Polished? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, does that happen? You know, Dan and I talked about this before, too, where... That what you're getting in terms of behind-the-scenes glimpses is definitely thought through. Like, you don't get unvarnished, personal, like, I'm going to drag everyone through the mud um, storytelling. But I, I do think, you know, in the vein of, of what even Brock was doing in his own books, there's a, there's a value in putting forth um, not an idyllic, but a, like, reasonable and practical view of what change looks like over many decades. And so we get a sense of how Michelle Obama grew up in Chicago and what it was like back then and then how her series of firsts of being one of the only African-American women in the room 
felt to her and what she tried to give back when she you know then had more power in politics so I, I didn't for me the lack of like surprising interiority wasn't um, it didn't detract for me uh, yeah but I could see how, how like if that's what you're looking for maybe that's not it gonna work for you mm-hmm. yeah I was just I think I was expecting something a little bit less diplomatic maybe you know yeah I mean there is a point at the in the last few chapters where you realize you're not gonna get what she really thinks about I mean you, you get what she really thinks about um, you know the name we shall not be speaking um, this episode but it's not anything that she hasn't said publicly okay well I love her and I'm gonna finish it but yeah. I was just wondering what to expect I definitely got the sense that like she's a public figure who knows she will remain a public figure and this isn't a time to like let it all out. Right. Smart. Smart lady. What else are you all reading? I have talked about Attica Locke before, so I want to mention her again, but I finally picked up Bluebird, Bluebird, which is not her latest novel, but I think the one right before it. Um, it's about a black Texas ranger who is going through some personal issues, some issues with his career, um, but he ends up in this small town and he, there's a, two bodies that have been found, one black man, one white woman, and basically uh, the book is about the town's reaction, different reactions to both of those things, and what he feels like his responsibility is, um, and his role in helping to solve these murders. Um, the thing I really love about Attica Locke is she writes what I call like intellectual mystery and not to say that like mystery can't be that or isn't that but she does such a good job of weaving like history racial tension like cut like social norms into a book that you maybe wouldn't expect to have those things and she does it so seamlessly and beautifully that you're like learning as you're sort of enjoying this mystery novel um so I'm I'm about halfway through and I'm really enjoying it so far highly recommend but I recommend also all her other books if you haven't read them. I haven't read any Attic Lock. What, what would you, where should I start? My favorite is The Cutting Season, which is about a woman who works at a plantation, and then there's like a dead body found. Um, and I'll leave it at that, but it, it's that one's my favorite. But she has a couple other ones that are, are really popular as well. But I would recommend The Cutting Season. Um, yeah, she's one of those people that I see her blurbing things left and right. I always see her name, especially in, because she's here, right? She's local. She's an LA yeah. author. Yeah. So I'm seeing her in that context, but I haven't picked one up yet. But that sounds really good. Yeah, and I know she played some role. I'm not sure certain what that role is in the the Netflix um, movie series that just came out. Um, when they see us. When they see us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does some of that stuff as well. But um, really, really great writer, great person. She's everywhere. She's I always go to her readings when she's at Skylight because she's just so funny. Like she's very quick yes, and she yes. gets on the show and her energy is so like bright and effervescent. I love her. Yeah, she's great. I've been thinking a lot about readings and what distinguishes a good one from a boring one and I don't have any answers, but I would love <laughs> like ideas and feedback. Like when when are you most engaged? Like what is it that stands out? Is it just your innate love for that author, or do sometimes you are you surprised? I think sometimes it is that, but I'll say this: any reading that has more than three people, I am actively upset by. It. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, why? 
Like, I appreciate it. I do. Like, I understand that, particularly as, like, a event organizer, you want to, like, support multiple people. But unless it's very well done, it can be, like, way too overwhelming. And keep your, re- if you're going to have that many readers, keep them, sh- keep it short. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, just, just keep it short. <laughs> so that's one thing I think that immediately will just, like, oh, like, turn me off from an event. Rochelle, you're killing me. The Made in LA, it's not a reading, but our event is going to have <laughs> about 10 of the contributors oh, God, there. Oh, no, God, I'm kidding. And I'm figuring out how do we get each person to have their moment. I mean, it's like the democratic debates. How does each person have their moment where you get to know a little bit about their style or about their um, their inspirations and what you know why they're writing about LA, but there's nine other people on stage yeah. waiting for their turn. So I'm trying to figure out a way to like plan that out so that it works and I'll, I'll say this again I think the time matters like keeping it quick so not mm-hmm. everyone is yeah. is spending 20 minutes on their reading yeah and also this is just me but when an author has a reading and they're about to read but they spend like five minutes giving you kind of a preface to the reading I'm like no no no, no. like just get to the reading like it should kind of speak for itself like there shouldn't be an insane amount of explaining you should have to do for the excerpt you're reading I think it's helpful, I agree with all of that, and I think it's helpful if you can break it up as well, so that you have like, three people read, then there's like, 20 minute cocktail party, and then, you know, like make it more of like, a party type yeah. of situation, rather than everyone sitting in uncomfortable chairs, because every chair is uncomfortable after like half an hour, um, and hearing reader after reader after reader. I'll also say, and this is something that writers often aren't good at, um, which is unfortunate, because we're good at writing, not reading our work necessarily, but someone like, Henry Lean, um, who has written, like, he writes a lot of, like, YA, like, kids' books. Like, the one he's most famous for is probably uh, P. Sprout Chen. Um, he gets in the character. He gets up there. I've seen him perform what he's reading. He gets up, he does voices, he's active. Something like that you can listen to 20 minutes of because it's a performance. Unfortunately, most readers, most writers are not that type of reader, which is very sad. And I will say, too, changing the tone of the reading. Like, so it's not all the same kind of tone for, like, three, four readers where it all sort of meshes together. I think if you're picking people that at least, you know, like, funny or sad or sarcastic or whatever, then it might help kind of cut it up, too, so you're not, you don't feel like it's just one continuous, like, sad story that someone's telling. This is super helpful. (laughs) Sonora, when you had a My Lit Box event with Jessica Salgado, mm-hmm. how did that go? What was the response? Because I know that she has a pretty committed following. She does, um, her Mango Mafia. Um, <laughs> it was really good. Like, in the vein of the conversation about readings, I have a lot of friends who are poets, so most of the readings I go to are poetry readings, which for me works. Like, I don't, like, them reciting their poetry, and it's often, like, performance. You know, they kind of, they sell it. It's not just kind of the reading of, you know, off of paper so those readings work really well for me I struggle with going to like author readings um, because they kind of sometimes they lack that entertainment factor um, like you were saying writers are great writers but they're not always the best performers I mean maybe hiring some actors to read for them maybe like something fun to do um, but as far as like Jessica she's great and she has like the supportive community that also shows up and shows out for her and that was just a, it was great for me because even though I have a lot of friends who are poets, enjoying poetry as a reader is relatively new for me. Mm-hmm. And like her collection, uh, Cortisone, was like, it was so easy for me to fall in love with that collection. 
Um, and then meeting her and just finding that she's as gracious and nice and as beautiful as her work is. Um, it was great to just have that reading and have her community and my community come together and just like celebrate her and her work. That was pretty dope. Has anyone been to any other readings lately that were inspiring like that? I did a reading with um, Allie Rowbottom, who wrote Jello Girls, which is a really good book about. She comes from like the Jello fortune, and the the lat line of women thinks that they carry a curse. And um, wow, there, yeah, there's a lot of sort of genetic diseases, a lot of bad luck, and so the book is really dark and really cool and really crazy. And um, the reading was organized by Lisa Lacasio, whose book Open Me came out last year, and it's just coming out in paperback. So she just had uh, me, Alia, Katia, Pekina, who wrote a book called The Deeper the Water, The Uglier the Fish, and a poet named Diana Arterian from USC, USC's PhD program. Um, all of that to say that like it was like a lot of people, it was weird, it was small, and it felt very intimate, and it was almost like, it felt like we were reading for each other, you know? It, it, like, I wasn't nervous at all, I ended up buying the other women's books while I was there, and like, there was just something really inspiring and lovely about just like, oh, we're part of this weird community, like, it's hard to sell books, it's, people don't buy books, like, there's not a lot of people reading, but we can just be in this room. It was here, it was around Little Tokyo. Is at the Poetic Research Bureau, and um, just talk about our feelings. <laughs> like that's another function of readings that I kind of forgotten about. Mm. You know, I don't usually go to them looking for that, but it felt yeah. really good. I mean, that's what I was gonna say. I also think, and maybe this is something we all need to work on, is it would be great to have literary events that are not just straight up readings. Like finding ways to celebrate literature and reading that aren't just not not to say just, but you know, that kind of take the reading model and maybe expand it or change it up or yeah. see how we can do things a little bit differently. Yeah, so much of the journey for a writer seems to be about finding more and more platforms and places to get your voice out there and like your writing out there and visible, but that's like one piece of the puzzle with how to be a successful writer in terms of your career. So I, I'm 100% behind that. Like, yes, the reading of voice is important, but like, also, all the connections that you can make just by being with other writers and mm -hmm. other fans, that's really important, too. Yeah, definitely. And it's something fun that people who aren't necessarily trying to network want to attend. Like, it, you, it becomes problematic for, I think, any community, any culture, any movement, whatever, when you're only talking to yourselves. Like, yes. You need to bring in the outside, and if that's like, let's go to a water park and read poems on the flume ride, you know, like maybe that people will come to that, you know, or like let's all get stoned and do a sound bath while someone reads their poetry, like that kind of stuff could be really fun and like different, you know, just something that is a fun event that happens to be centered in the literary arts. Totally, I agree. We need to be more fun. Revolution starts now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, I'm so, like, up my own butt elitist literary fiction fan that, like, I like those boring readings that everyone always complains about, but, like, they're not the only kind of reading. And I think for a long time it seemed like that was how you did a reading, mm -hmm. you know. It doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, now it seems like there are so many per day. You know, we catalog, like, six or seven per day sometimes <laughs> in the Events Navigator that, like, it, it must stand out. Um, it, 
well, I guess a lot of authors are finding ways to make their events stand out, but a lot are just like, hey, I'm going to go up there and just do my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, the Little Literary Festival is coming up soon, speaking of celebrations of literary culture. Yeah, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere, <laughs> but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to like jump in. Uh, Bookswell is going to be there. We're going to do a first, if we can pull it off, which is going to be kind of like a pop-up bookshop. Um, do you want to take a step back and talk about what the Literary Lit Festival is for people that don't know? Yes. It's the Little Literary Fair, a celebration of independent booksellers, book publishers, and bookmakers from Los Angeles and beyond. It's July 20th and 21st from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Hauser & Worth Gallery area in the Arts District downtown, and it's free and open to the public. There is just a really cool article about it in the LA Times, um, and if, you ever, if you've never been to Hauser & Worth, it's really gorgeous space. There are chickens. It's <laughs> insane. It doesn't even seem like it should exist. It's just this like, little special part of downtown LA. Yeah, and there's going to be a bunch of organizations there, so perfect place to like meet with publishers, um, talk to authors, and just, you know, immerse yourself if that's what you're looking for. And you can go grab a beer next door at Angel City Brewing Company, right? Like, you just go <laughs> grab some beer and then go wander around the shops. Mm-hmm. And there, I think there's like a little cocktail place with tapas inside the gallery. I think it's, it's kind of... Um, foodie destination so it's probably pretty pricey but it's there if that's something you're looking forward to yeah after seven hours of interacting with the public and writers i'm going to need a cocktail (laughs) for sure (laughs) all right sonoro welcome to the bookswell podcast i've been wanting to catch up ever since we got to hang out in portland at the awp conference um, I, I'm a subscriber to my lip box, so I know what it is, but some of our, some of our listeners might not. So tell me more about what it is and what, um, what brought you to create it. Sure. So my lip box is a quarterly book subscription service, um, that's committed to highlighting writers of color. So they sign up and I ship the boxes to them. And we have three topics that we cover, three genres rather. Um, we have a young adult box, um, we have an adult fiction box, um, and we have an adult fiction by black women writers box. Um, so our subscribers sign up on the website um, during our subscription windows. And we've been going on for about three and a half years now. Yeah, that's great. How do you decide which titles to pick? Um, I mean, the first criteria is it has to be written by a writer of color. Um, and it has to fall within like one of the genres I outlined earlier. Um, but pretty much it's just, I just find the copy find the titles that I'm interested in and I just read I just read 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 um and pretty much I just have to enjoy the book when I started my lip box I used to be a lot more strict like I wanted to love the book um but then I cut myself some slack and realized like I'm selecting a book for other people to read um so while I may not like it someone else may love it and vice versa um so I pretty much just have to be able to get through the book enjoy the book to an extent um and just I try to steer away from like any offensive language or anything that I think is just unnecessary. And I mean, the books I choose, they, they will have slurs in them. They may have like traumatic events and things. So I don't necessarily shy away from those things. Um, but I have to feel as if it lends something to the story and isn't just like 
racial slurs for no reason or gratuitous violence. It just needs to, I just need to enjoy the book and I just need to feel as if my readers will take something away from it. The box came recently. I got a copy of The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. And and that was one where it felt like the, um, the use of trauma and recovery served the story really well. And I, I enjoyed it. Oh, good. So. It's interesting that you bring up that title because I really struggled with that one. I love the book, but I really had a hard time picking it because also one of the characters also in um, that book uses a homophobic slur, mm-hmm. um, which re- I really had to sit with that because yeah. I don't, I would ha- I mean, literature is tough because, you know, it's supposed to challenge us and it's supposed to make us feel things, but I never want, I would hate to think that I selected a book that made any of my readers feel offended or as if, um, I was questioning their identity, whether it's their gender identity, sexual orientation, whatever the cultural background may be. So I really struggled with that title. Yeah. Um, but I ultimately did go through with it because I felt as if it this was the custom, this was a good portrayal of this character. And I felt as if it lent something to the story and the bigger picture. Do you ever um, take into consideration like the author's bio and sort of where they've come from? So that one was interesting, for instance, because um, it was... She was, I think, a journalist at some point. And so it was interesting that there was someone who has a lot of experience with nonfiction and then trying her hand at prose. So that was kind of interesting um, for me to see. But she's also uh, a lesbian. So she, you know, brought an interesting perspective and background to the story, too. Outside of them being a writer of color, I don't really take much of their background into account because I don't, it really, I don't see a way that it would like impact my decision one way or the other. Um, the only thing I will look at, like, look at is if they've been in like the news for something negative. Okay. Um, if they're problematic, then yeah. I won't use their book. Yeah. I just, I can't with a clear conscience and especially if they've done something or spoken about something that doesn't align with my personal beliefs. Um, and I think, not so much that their opinions don't align with mine, but if I think their opinions are harmful to others, then I definitely, I can't bring myself to support the work um, in any big way. Yeah, um, that's, that's one of the criteria for us if we list events on the website. You know, it can't be like, um, sort of like folk remedies that harm people and yeah. keep them from seeking medical treatment for yeah, serious conditions. Exactly. Like, I don't want anyone by, our, my, by what we're doing <laughs> to get exposed to exactly. like inaccurate information. Yeah, yeah. so... Outside of like just making sure they're a writer of color, um, that's about as far as into the background as I go. But I do love using day, de- um, using books from debut authors. Yeah. Um, that's something I really do enjoy because the one of the missions of my live back which is something I speak about often is just I want to put like new writers um, in front of our customers. Like when I'm looking at authors and books to include for each month. Um, if there's like a New York Times bestselling, like if a book was coming out from Zadie Smith and a book was coming out from a debut author, I'm more inclined to go with the debut author because Zadie Smith, people are already checking for her writing and I'm sure will do well. Um, but I like the feeling of being able to put this debut writer in front of like audiences and say, check out this really good book. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many, um, barriers to getting into the publishing industry that any, extra um, 
highlighting or platforming of a, of a writer is going to help them. Yeah, like there have been times where I'll take, like for each of the um, boxes, I'll take a picture and post it on Instagram. And like, I really love when the authors engage with the post and they're like really kind and like appreciative and grateful. And it's kind of like, I'm humbled that they even acknowledged the post in the first place. But like whatever I can do, I mean, we have to, it's hard to, everyone's not going to be a New York Times bestselling author. Um, even though I'm sure that's what they have in the back of their mind as like a goal. But I'm sure like even like moments like this, like including their book in my box and posting it and sharing it and singing their praises, I'm sure that feels good to a writer. Um, so anything I can do to help in that regard, I can. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of my questions is how much do the writers get involved? Um, do you have discussions or events or how does that work out? I don't. I mean, it's something that I would like to do, but it's so it takes so much time and um, so many writers are based either on the East Coast or just not in LA or Southern California area. Um, so I don't really engage with the writers very much. Um, like when I pick a title, I just deal with the publishers directly. So it's not like I have to like go through the writers to get the books. Mm -hmm. Um, there have been like some writers in the past that have been really gracious and they've like signed, um, like book plates for me to include with the books. Um, but I haven't like had any like in person book clubs or discussion in person or online, but that's definitely something I want to entertain. When the uh, last book came, I opened it up and I was like, wait, this isn't just a book. Like there's all sorts of fun yeah. stuff. Sometimes there's like tiny journals or other like that. And they're really cool. It's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, I, I yeah, it's yeah. stuff that I'm like, this is really cool. I'm glad I have this now. Yeah. So we have the two options. One is a book only option, but then we have the, what I call the full box option, which includes the book. Um, and usually about three to four additional items. So they could be a journal, a bookmark, stationery, pencils, um, tote bags. Like it kind of runs the gamut. I just try to, I try to use things that are one relevant to the title that so they in some way relate back to the book. Um, and they're also useful. Like I don't want to just send people clutter. I want to send them things that they can actually use. So it's nice to hear that it's like like it comes yeah. in handy. Good. What's coming up next? Well... So the boxes are a secret until they hit your doorstep. So I can't even announce what the titles are. I like it. Um, <laughs> so I like that little bit of surprise. Um, but our next box will be shipping in September. So come August 1st is when our next subscription window opens um, from August 1st to the last day of August. Um, and then the box will ship in September. Um, and then we also, this year we also, or I also started hosting a book club for my lit box. Tell me more about that. Um, so on usually it's either the fourth or the fifth Sunday of each month and we meet at this new and great coffee shop um, in the LA area called Hilltop Coffee. And we just discuss um, a new title every month. So all the titles that we discuss at each book club have been featured in my lit box at some point in time. Um, so we're just kind of working through that catalog of books that we featured and just reading one every um, month. And just great. discussing it. It's great. I really enjoyed the community part. Well, Sonora, thank you so much for being here. Thank it was a pleasure. And I hope we can do it again. I hope so. Hello, Bookswell Intersections listeners. I'm Shannon Egan. We are midway through July, and I know a lot of Angelinos are getting out of town for summer vacations. But if you're interested in attending some literary events while you are around, I've decided to highlight some great readings featuring local LA authors. First up, 
On Wednesday, July 10th, Red Hand Press is hosting an evening of poetry readings at Skylight Books at 7.30 p.m. If you're not familiar with Red Hand, they were founded in 1994 with the goal of providing a truly local indie press for the L.A. community. Currently based in Pasadena, Redham Press is committed to publishing works of literary excellence, supporting diversity, and promoting literacy in our local schools. All wonderful things. For this reading, Eloise Klein-Healy, Ron Kirkke, Kim Dower, and Francesca Bell will be sharing poems from their collections. Next, we have a Hollywood-centered tale for you fiction lovers. Tuesday, July 16th at 6.30 p.m., Diesel and Brentwood is hosting the book launch for Plastic by Frank Strasser. When a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon is called in after a beautiful pop star is violently disfigured, he thinks his job is to restore her looks, but soon he fears he's there to surgically erase all trace of the crime. Plastic explores the ephemeral world of celebrity and beauty at the intersection of Hollywood and rock and roll. This sounds like a perfect summer read, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of fun local tidbits for Angelinos. The next two events were teased at the beginning of the episode by our lovely co-hosts, but I wanted to circle back and give a few more details. Friday, July 19th at 7.30 p.m., the Made in LA Indie Author Co-op will present their second short story collection at Skylight Books. Bookswell Managing Editor Cody Sisko will be there with his co-authors, discussing what they find inspiring about Los Angeles, how their stories came about, and providing a behind-the-scenes peek at indie publishing and the DIY production of hyper-local literary culture. If you're a fan of what we do at Bookswell, this is an awesome chance to meet the man behind the creation of LA's largest literary calendar. And finally, Lit Lit, or the Little Literary Fair, is a celebration of independent booksellers, book publishers, and bookmakers from Los Angeles and beyond. This will be held July 20th and 21st from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. downtown in the Arts District. You can find more details about Lit Lit, the other events I've just mentioned, and so many more literary happenings on our website, bookswell.club, or by following us on social media at Bookswell Club. Thank you. Enjoy your summer reading. <laughs>